In the year King Uniza died, God lifted the prophet Isaiah in a vision of the holy throne room. He saw the Lord sitting high and lifted up, surrounded the praise by the angels. In response, Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. In a moment of clarity, Isaiah saw himself as he really was. He saw his people as they really were. He saw God as he really is. And in response, he fell on his face before the Lord. He was humbled and repentant. He understood the wickedness of his sin. He felt his depravity. He would have accepted his condemnation. But he received forgiveness. An angel flew to him with a burning coal from the altar, touched his mouth and made him clean. His guilt was gone. His sin atoned. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord, and it freed him. God then needed a man who understood forgiveness to go to his people preaching of forgiveness. Who would he send? Isaiah pipes up, send me. So God does. But Isaiah was given a very tough assignment. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. You see, God's prophet takes God's word to God's people. But they are unable to hear. The greatest task of their lives is one they fail to accomplish. Because they've traded the glory of God for the glory of man. They have exalted themselves above the Lord. And in so doing, have failed to attain the glory they seek. The world Isaiah stepped into was a world at war with God. Jesus stepped into that same world. But the war was subtle. Shots weren't fired all at once. Time was still. Awaiting the fullness when all hell's fury swelled towards the cross. God came offering peace. But the Israelites of Isaiah's day and the Israelites of Jesus' day refused to accept the terms. Instead, they wage war. All Isaiah's hearers had to do was listen and repent. Listen and repent. But they couldn't. Can you? This morning, we will be talking about thinking with clarity. Church say thinking with clarity. When it comes to our spiritual growth in our lives, 
God designed you to do something significant in this world. You were created for a purpose. Before you can become anything God wants you to be, you have to grow spiritually. Our text this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 5 through 14. To understand this parable, we must see the context. Jesus' ministry was immensely popular. Luke 8, 4. People were journeying from great distance to hear him speak. Many confused popularity with fruitfulness. When large flocks to a church, some might think, wow, God is blessing them, right? But is he truly blessing? You see, Jesus knew that large crowds did not equal God's blessing. Okay? Unless those in the crowd were truly responding to God's word with saving faith. Jesus knew the selfish hearts and fickleness of sinful men. He also knew the intensity of this spiritual conflict when the gospel is preached. That Satan waits to snatch the seed before it can take root in hearts. And as you read through our text, you will find two statements. Two statements which appear to contradict each other. This apparent contradiction is the tension of our text. At the end of the parable of the soils, Jesus called out to his audience, He who has the ears to hear, let him hear. Luke 8, verse 8b. This clearly seems to be an encouragement to listen to his words and, from, and to learn from them. And yet, in the same context, Jesus told his disciples, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Luke chapter 8, verse 10b. In other words, Jesus is encouraging his audience to listen and to heed his teaching. While he's also telling his disciples that the parables he uses are designed to cloud the truth rather than to clarify it, to conceal the truth rather than to reveal it. He told his disciples that if they did not understand this parable, they would not understand any of the parables. Mark 4, 13. This parable in one way or another, serves as the key to understanding the meaning of each parable. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Mark chapter 4 Verse 33 and 34. Parabole, parable, means to put one thing alongside another for comparison. Parables were a common rhetorical device employed by the rabbis. Jesus was a master 
storyteller. His teachings was full of these everyday stories. Some of them were no more than a couple of remarks about commonplace incidents, objects, or persons. In fact, the most compact of Jesus' short stories does not even fill a complete verse of Scripture. It is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. In the original Greek text, that parable is just 19 words. It is the most ordinary of antidotes about the most common of activities told in the fewest possible words. But it contains a profound lesson about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus takes to the floating pulpit, as his congregation gathers on the shore, Mark 4, chapter verse 1, the time has come to teach about his father's kingdom. He's miraculously healed their diseases with his hands. Now it's time to teach their hearts with his words. When Jesus first century audience needed. What they needed is the same thing that we need today, to be confronted with God's word. We need the holy God to break through our world, our heart, our experience, and shake the very ground upon which we stand. We cannot come alive to him on our own. We need him. We need him sounding the alarm, church. We need an awakening. Are you with me this morning? Luke chapter 8, 5 through 14. Our farmer went out to sow his seeds as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whosoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others... I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes it away, takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Church, question. 
What does it take? What does it take to grow spiritually? Now, Jesus tells a story in the Bible which illustrates several very common barriers, if you will, that keeps you from growing spiritually. He also gives us a story in ways to grow into your full potential. As this farmer throws a seed out, it falls on four different kinds of soil. They represent different responses to God. Later on, Jesus interprets the story. He says the farmer in the story represents God, and the seed represents the word of God. The soil represents your attitude, your heart, your responsiveness to what God wants to do. He says if you learn from this story, you'll learn what it takes to grow spiritually. The parable of the Lord related to in this passage answers the question of why throughout redemptive history, most people have rejected the gospel. You'll find that in Matthew 7, verse 24, 22, verse 14. Also, Luke chapter 13, verses 23 and 24. Jesus' simple illustration provides, I would say, unforgettable insights into the subject of being receptive to the gospel. He makes it clear that the issue is not the gospel message, nor is it the skill of those proclaiming it. The determining factor is the condition of the hearer's heart. The parable of the soils is important for the apostles, the disciples, For us, anybody who's given the responsibility to proclaim the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is very important for us to understand this issue of being receptive to the gospel. And he says, if I want to grow spiritually, that is, number one, I must be receptive to God. I must be receptive to God. I must want to grow, okay? I got to be eager. I got to be ready to grow. I must be spiritually receptive. The primary reason people don't grow is very obvious this morning, church. They don't want to grow, all right? They just don't want to grow. They are spiritually unreceptive, unresponsive, and when you... You came to church today, right? And that showed a degree of receptiveness to learning spiritual truth, right? Jesus says this is like the first kind of soil. Chapter 8, verse 5. A farmer went out to plant some seed, and he scattered it across his field. Some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds came, and they ate it. Then, in verses 11 and 12, he gives the meaning of this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The hard path where some some seed fell represents the hard hearts of those who hear the words of God, but the devil comes and steals the words away and prevents people from believing and being saved. On every farm, there are footpaths 
the farmer walks as he walks through his crops. And because he walks over and over them, the soil gets compacted. In that arid climate, the pathways, when dry, were as hard as concrete. As the sower threw the seed at the outer edges of the plow field, some of the seed would inevitably end up on the hard-baked earth of the wayside. This is the wayside here. Dry, hardened soil by the wayside pictures a heart that is impervious to the biblical truth. This is all perhaps the most disturbing and hopeless of all the conditions Jesus depicts. Unbelief and a love of sin have made the heart hard a, a dense, rock-like environment where truth cannot possibly penetrate, much less take root. The hearer is therefore oblivious to spiritual truths and is dead and is totally influenced to the schemes of Satan. But Jesus, Jesus explains the true goal symbolized in the work of the sower. His aim is that people might believe and be saved. There are two things true of a footpath. One, it's very hard. Two, it's narrow. A lot of people's minds are like that. They're hard. They got hardening of the attitude. They say, don't confuse me with the truth. I don't want to hear that right now. I've made up my mind. They're close-minded. They're very narrow-minded. When the sea gets thrown on this kind of hard-packed soil, it doesn't even have a chance to penetrate. The birds come along and eat it before it can even take root. Birds are surprisingly intelligent and aggressive when it comes to snatching away scattered seed. The seed just lays on the surface, and it doesn't even have a chance to sprout. Jesus says, sometimes we're like this. Okay? Point. We never give God a chance in our lives. We never give God a chance in our lives. We don't even give him the opportunity to work. We don't give God the chance to answer prayer because we don't pray. To do a miracle in our life because we don't even believe in miracles. We don't give God a chance to go us spiritually because we're not even sure we believe in God. When our minds are closed, our hearts are hard, and we're unwilling to listen. There isn't going to be any spiritual growth. Roman numeral number one on your outline. This, the first kind of soil, the hardened path, represents a closed mind. Those whose hearts have never been opened to the gospel, who never responded positively to the Lord Jesus Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees seem to generally to fall into this kind of category. The gospel makes no impression on them whatsoever. Satan immediately snatches the gospel from the heart so that there's no response, no new birth, no fruit. The question then is, what causes people to be closed to God? What causes people to be closed to spiritual growth? Why is it when sometimes you bring up the issue of God, people go, wait a minute, uh-uh, 
I don't want to talk about that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You could just see the curtain coming down, right? The door slamming shut and their mind shutting down, the heart's closing up. What causes us to be so defensive when people even start talking about God? Why are we that way? There are several reasons. We got this mental block. The reason why we're, we close our minds to God is on your outline is fear. Fear. Obviously, if we're afraid of God, we're not going to want to be close to him, right? We're not going to want to grow spiritually. We're afraid. We think if I get close to God, what if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? Huh? That's a legitimate fear, right? If I get close to God, what if he turns me into a religious nut? All right? Like some of those people on TV. You watch people on TV? I become some religious fanatic and I have to dress up in really funny clothes. All right? I really say some funny stuff all the time. Like, praise the Lord, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. What if I lose my freedom? If I start growing spiritually and all of a sudden I can't have fun anymore? Got to have some fun. What's up with that? And if you're afraid of God, it's obvious. You're going to close your mind. You're going to harden your heart. You're going to shut down because you really don't want to know God. You don't know what he's about. Another reason people close down to God is bitterness. Bitterness. Resentment over hurts. Resentment over hurts from the past. They think about that hurt and think, if God allowed that, no thanks, God. I don't want any part of you. They may not say that consciously, but in their mind, they're thinking it. God, why did you let this happen? A loss of a loved one, a parent, a spouse. A brother or sister, somebody you really loved. You say, why? Why did you let this happen? Some of you have been abused emotionally, perhaps physically, maybe sexually. And it hurt. And it still hurts. You can still remember that trauma. In your mind, you think, why? Why did God allow that to happen? Some of you have been hurt by other Christians, people claiming to be believers. When you hold resentment in your heart towards God, there's no way you're going to grow spiritually. You cannot grow and have bitterness at the same time. There's another block, and that's pride. Pride. Pride keeps me from being receptive to God. Sometimes we just don't think we need God. We think, hey, man, I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-contained. I can handle it. I can figure it out. I've caught this problem. I can resolve this, right? As a result, if I don't think I need God, or if I'm afraid of God, or angry at God, it's obvious I'm not going to be receptive to God. Don't be proud. Don't be proud, but accept God's teaching that is planted in your heart. This teaching can save your soul. James chapter 1, verse 21. Amen, right? Now, here's the problem. An unreceptive, hard heart. A closed mind is a barren lifestyle, church. Nothing can grow there at all. Jesus said the seeds get thrown on it and does no sprouting. The birds come along and eat it. This life is for the birds, right? All right? It's a wasted life. God, help me. Help me, Lord, to be receptive to you this morning. Number two. If I want to grow spiritually, 
I must be resolved to grow. Resolved to grow. That means I've got to make a decision, make a resolution, make a commitment. I have to accept responsibility for my own spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is a choice. You are cl as close to God as you want to be, right? Don't blame anybody else. If you feel far from God, guess who moved? God didn't. You cannot blame your spouse, your parents, your kids, or somebody who hurts you. If you're not spiritually mature, it's because you've chosen not to be. Without resolution, without commitment, you're never going to grow spiritually, church. Instead, without being resolved to grow, you're going to live a pretty shallow, superficial life. All right? Roman numeral number two. The shallow soil equals a superficial commitment. Jesus said this is what the second kind of soil represents. Jesus names it the rock. Verse 6, other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. This seed began to grow, but soon it withered and died for lack of moisture. Jesus is telling this story in Israel. In Israel, most of the nation is covered by a thin layer of topsoil on top of the solid bedrock of limestone. It's like the good soil goes real deep. It doesn't really go deep there, okay? It does not. When it talks in the Bible about rocky soil, it's not talking about a bunch of rocks in the ground. It's talking about a very thin layer of topsoil on the bedrock of hard stone. Again, usually limestone. The underlying rock would be invisible to the farmer when the field was plowed because the plowshare penetrated about, I'd say, 8 to 10 inches deep. A layer of limestone rock bed about a foot beneath the surface would be hard to detect. But such a shallow layer of soil would not be deep enough or stay moist enough to sustain crops, especially in a dry climate. As a result, when you plant things there, they will grow to a certain depth. But if they don't have any roots, they can't even go deep down because the bedrock prevents them from getting deep roots. And when the desert winds come, and the heat's on, and the summertime comes, and all those plants are going to die unless they are continuously watered and irrigated. Jesus is saying, a lot of people are like this. In verse 13, some people are like the seeds on the rocky soil. They welcome the word of, with joy, whatever they hear it, but they don't develop any roots. They believe for a while, but when their faith is tested, they abandon it. Notice he says these people welcome the word with joy. Have you ever gotten excited when you heard a sermon or a message that really, really touched you? Sure you have. And you get all excited and you react emotionally and you're moved impulsively. Maybe a little tear comes out of your eye. Okay. Maybe you're so excited or intellectually challenged or emotionally stirred. You got a quiver in your liver and you say, this is really great. But you walk out the door and you forget about it. Right? Because there's no root. There's no depth. You're thrilled, but you're not transformed. And you let the word of God penetrate the bedrock of our personality. It's going nowhere. All heaven 
is filled with rejoicing when the soul is converted, right? There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Luke 15, 7. But as Jesus makes clear in our parable, great joy sometimes accompanies false conversion. Neither hyperactive joy nor grateful quietude proves anything one way or another about whether someone's profession of faith is an expression of superficial, temporary belief, or deep and lasting conviction. In the hills in San Jose, where I live at, and you can see the hills off of 101. You see, during the rainy season, they suddenly spring life to life with this luxurious-looking greenery. You see that? It looks like Ireland is all nice and green. But in a very short while, they revert to this parched brown. The green that looks so promising turns into this lifeless shrub. Brown-looking, all right? Able to feed a, a wildfire. That's a perfect parable for the way some people respond to the gospel. They are polar opposite of the hard-hardened hearers. They seem receptive. They seem interested. They're exhilarated by it, but all that enthusiasm obscures the fact that there's no root. They believe for a while. They are receptive, even enthusiastic. It's not a question of if, but when such faith will fail. It usually, but not always, happens sooner rather than later. Each person who responds positively to the word of God will face a time of temptation. The Greek word translated temptations found in Luke 8.13 can also refer to trial or test. And that is clearly the sense here. The new disciples' faith will eventually be put to the test under the threat of persecution. Now, if it's superficial, rootless, Heartless faith, no matter how enthusiastic the response may have seemed in the beginning, that person will fall away. Jesus said in the book of John, verse 831, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Hebrews 3.14 says, We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. The Apostle Paul said, you can know you are truly reconciled to God if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If you want to grow spiritually, it's not going to happen by osmosis, right? You have to do something about it. You've got to invest some time. You've got to let it sink in. Amen? Point. Must take time to let it sink in, church. That's one of the reasons we give you these outlines. Pastors preaching Sundays each week. Take them home. Study them. Read them. Go online. Come Wednesday night. Brother Hunter had an outline a week before. Grab it. Come Wednesday night. Come Sunday morning classes. All right? We're having classes. They got to sink in. Let it sink in and decide, what am I going to do about it? 
If you notice maybe in your life how easy it is to make a commitment to grow spiritually and yet find yourself when the tough times come, when the heat's on, find yourself letting go of that commitment, incredibly easy. Does that bother you when that happens? How do you make sure that the desire to grow, that commitment to grow is something that sticks? Matthew 7, 26, Jesus says this, anyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. James 1, 22, don't, re- don't only hear the message, but put it into practice. Otherwise, you're merely deluding yourself. We all know that if we want to become more physically fit, it takes some time, some trouble, and some energy, right? What about spiritual fitness? What about that? The Bible reminds us that that's going to take some time also, right? That's going to take some energy in our lives also. 1 Timothy 4.7, take the time and the trouble to, be, to be, keep yourself spiritually fit. Question. Now, where do you start? You want to put down some deep roots, right? You want to make some commitments to put down some roots in your life. Don't you want to do that? Yes. Where do you get started? Here's some commitments you can start with. I'm going to give you this morning. You can alternate them, whatever whatever you want to do with them. The first one is, I commit to connect with others. I commit to connect with others. When you decide to spend time around other people who want to grow spiritually, you begin to be like the people you spend time with. Any spiritual growth that has happened in my life is not because I'm spiritually minded. It's because I've hung around other people that are growing at the same time. Here, here's an important factor in helping you grow. The encouragement of other people. We're going to be starting some uh, community connect fellowships on February 23rd. That's a good place to connect. Again, Sunday morning, Wednesdays, men's and women's activities, those are things to be connected with. Number two, I commit to build spiritual habits. I commit to build, to build spiritual habits. If I want to spend, t- I got to spend time in God's word. I've got to make a commitment to do it. If you, if you want to talk to God in prayer, it doesn't always come natural, right? It doesn't. I've got to make a commitment to do it, to build these spiritual habits as a part of, of, of life. Number three, I commit to use my talents. Use my talents to take whatever gifts, whatever abilities God has given me and use them in the body of Christ here at this church and in your community. Because when I do that, not only are they helped, but guess what? I grow. Number four, I commit to share my faith. Share my faith to tell other people the good news about what God has done in my life. Amen? Some of you are here because, this morning because somebody invited you. They wanted you to hear the good news about what's been happening for them. When you take the good news, church, and you share it, with someone else, it amplifies it in your faith. Amen? Amen? And the fifth one, I commit to fulfill my purpose. Commit to fulfill my purpose. The reason God put me on this earth is to bring him glory to him. Glory to him. 
The reason God put me on this earth is to make a difference in this world in the name of Jesus. Make these commitments. Start setting these down deep roots in these areas and see what God does to help you grow spiritually. A third step you need, and my last one, and you, get to, you guys get to go to lunch, right? To take, if you want to grow spiritually, I must be ruthless. I must be ruthless with distractions. Ruthless with distractions. Things that keep me from growing, I must be ruthless with distractions. Your most important objective in life is to grow spiritually. Once you know Jesus, okay? It's more important than your job, your marriage, making a million bucks, and retiring. All right? It's the very reason why you're put on this earth, church. Right? God put you here not to retire. He put you here to get to know him, develop a relationship with him, and grow spiritually and become what he meant for you to be. There are all kinds of distractions, right? The devil will think of all kinds of things to keep you from growing spiritually. He's a chump. Lots of problems and and events that can waste your time and energy, dampen your enthusiasm for growing spiritually. The Bible calls these distraction weeds. The weeds grow up in your life and begin to choke out the spiritual growth so you don't have any vitality to get to know God. Jesus says the third type of soil represents this, the barrier to growth. He says in verse 7, some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up and choked the good plants. And then Jesus explains, the thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this world, so they never grow into maturity. This is the third barrier that keeps you from growing spiritually. Number one, closed mind and hard heart. Number two, superficial commitment, shallow living, never really intended to grow. Number three, a crowded life. Roman numeral number three, soil with seeds, excuse me, an overcrowded life, an overcrowded life. When I get so many things in my life that crowd out God, I've got this overcrowded life and it chokes out my spiritual growth. Why are there so many people who live unproductive lives and an overcrowded life? Why are there so many people that become believers, but they never grow? They never bear fruit. They never grow to maturity in overcrowded life. Are any of you vaguely familiar with this situation? Uh Uh-huh. This is not a hard-hearted unbeliever or a shallow emotional person here now. This time the soul itself is well plowed and deep enough. But there are all kinds of impurities in it. Weeds native to that soul have already germinated under the surface. They will always grow stronger and faster than the good seed. The word of God is, is, is a foreigner in such a, a, a heart. And weeds and, thrown, and thorns are on, on that ground. Jesus, in, the verse, in this verse, points out to different kinds of weeds. Okay, 
And I'm going to give you, there's many more, but I'm going to give you three this morning, all right? Is that okay? All right, amen. The first one is the cares of life. The cares of life. The problem and the pressures and the worries of life and the stress of success. You know what? Success can draw you away from God. The word here is miramana, means to be pulled in different directions. The second one is riches, all right? Riches can choke your vitality, your growth. This person is, is, is too in love with this world, too obsessed with riches. You can be so busy making money and watching your investments. You don't have time for spiritual growth. So busy making a living, you don't make a life. Nothing is more hostile to the truth of the gospel than the love for riches and pleasures of this world. To those whose main wish is to spend all their resources on worldly pleasures. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship of the world is an enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In Matthew's account, the stress is on the worldly hearer's love of money. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word, Matthew 13, 22. And then Timothy writes to the Apostle Paul, and Paul says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some has strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10. The last one, number three. Pleasures can be a weed. Pleasures. You can be so busy, having a lot of fun, but you forget God. Sorry, God, I don't have time for you right now. Pleasures of life, this life. He said we get weeds in our lives Anything that crowds out God, it could be a good thing. It could be a family theme, my career, my hobbies, social media, television, fun things. Anything that crowds out God and keeps me from growing spiritually becomes a weed. And it grows up in my life and it chokes out my spiritual growth. The Apostle John condemned worldliness with equal severity. He wrote this, do not love the world or the things of what? In the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not what? In him. 1 John 2.15. Now, did he mean it is a sin to love mountains and flowers or good food and people? Of course not. He's talking about the values and the vices of this world. Everything embodied in the world is pathological and self-destructive is an enemy of God. All this All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, verse 16. And that's precisely, church, what the weeds and thorns in this parable represent. Selfishness, sinful desire, an unholy belief system that dominates this world. Values such as those not the natural features of the created world itself, are what suffocate the truth of God's word in the fallen hearts. Now, you have chosen to take second-class things and put them 
in first class place in your life. You hear what I said? One day, you're going to explain to God why he did that. God says, I put you on this earth to get to know me and to grow and become what I meant for you to be. But you have allowed other things to crowd your life. What do you do with weeds? Some of you in your previous life would say, smoke them. All right? All right? But I'm not talking about that kind of weed. What do you do with weeds, church? You rip them out. You uproot them. You eliminate them. You get rid of them. What do you do with weeds in your life? Some of you need some spiritual roundup. All right? That kills the weeds. And finally, you need to be what? Ruthless in eliminating distractions. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus.